Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And I'm sitting here with Tom Dorian. Standing by. No, sitting by. Sitting by. Wingman. Wingman, here we go. That's right. We got some, uh, we're going to make some sense today. All right. Not dollars and cents, but some common sense. All right. We need that too. That's exactly right. So today we're going to talk about something that a lot of people, I don't know, even Catholics don't understand, but many times we'll be out in the world, right? And we're talking to folks about what we have, we as Catholics believe, and Catholics will share this with others, et cetera. And you always get these comments to this idea that somehow... The teachings of the church made it up. Yeah, it's all made up stuff. That it's or that it's, that it's uh, that's you know it's crazy. It's silly. It's bizarre. It's random. You know, we hear the yeah. man-made comment. You know, or invented. And what we're going to try to do today mm-hmm. is just take some of the basic teachings of the Catholic faith, okay, and actually show how they actually just make common sense. All right. I know we've done a show uh, recently, and we were talking about. Uh, how when you describe a teaching of the church to know it's valid, you would want to make sure that it that there was something historical about right. it, that it was this is what the church has always taught. You'd also want to see that it was in uh, in God's word, that it was scripturally sound, that it mm-hmm. made sense with the Bible, mm-hmm. right? But then you also want to make sure that it made sense, that it didn't sound like you know space aliens had delivered this yeah this uh, this teaching yeah some whacked out left field idea exactly although some people might look at that and think these things are whacked out in left field and that's why yeah we're going to talk about some of these particular teachings great idea and try to help people understand see look there really is some yeah. common sense here now i do want to make clear at the beginning of this that we're not going to go into deep theological underpinnings of all of these teachings that for each one of these things that we're going to talk about because yeah, you got a lot of bullets there that's right well but for each one of these things you could actually go and spend and we've done shows on them right. but you could spend hours going through the bible going through the history of the church listening reading the church fathers and you could you could spend a lot of time and a lot of real estate and paper describing these things and showing why the church so we're right. not going to do justice to the theological underpinnings of each one of these doctrines or dogmas. But we are going to do is just open your eyes a little bit to the concept of the common sensibility of that particular teaching. That's what we're going to try to do. And, you know, the granddaddy of all these teachings, the thing that we want to talk about that really sets us apart from so many other uh, faiths is the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Oh, yeah. When we talk about Eucharist as Catholics, we mean something very specific. Yep, and many of us Catholics, and even I, in my younger days, fell prey to this simple argument that you would hear. Mm-hmm. There'd be this question, mm-hmm. and it would be, "Why would the Author of all life, the mm-hmm. Creator of the universe, squeeze himself into this little cookie?" Right, right. And you stop and think about it for a second. You think, "Yeah, wait a second, <laughs> that's kind of crazy." Yeah. Isn't that a wacky thing that we would believe that? Where did that come from? Right. Right? And so we can look in Scripture and we can see where this is actually scripturally, very scripturally sound. Mm-hmm. Right? We can also see where the t- church has always taught this and the church fathers have always espoused this concept and idea. But, but also, we want to talk about, does it make common sense? Okay. 
Think about it. What did Jesus promise before he left? He promised that I would be with you always, right? He did. Right? And so we know that when we pray, mm-hmm. whenever two or more are gathered in his name, he's there with exactly. us. Exactly. Right? We know that he's there present in every good and holy thing that we do. Mm-hmm. We know that he's there present when we as a congregation or a group together and we, 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 we sing the praises of God and we worship together. We know that Christ is present. Mm-hmm. And, and Christ is present in each one of us. But the Catholic teaching of the Eucharist, in that situation, Christ is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in, in a very real way. And so much so that we call it the real presence or the true presence of Christ right. in the Eucharist. Right. And we're talking about real. We're mm-hmm. talking about substance-wise, mm-hmm. which means it has a physicality, it has a spirituality, it has a realness Mm-hmm. An actuality that Christ is actually present. In fact, our church would teach that Christ is most present to us in the Eucharist. Absolutely. That's how we experience him most. It's almost like reaching out and actually touching the face of God. We have physical contact mm-hmm. in a very deeply spiritual way with the author of life. Right. Right? So this is beautiful. Well, so it makes common sense that if, if Christ said, I'm going to be with you always, mm-hmm. that he would... He would create some way in which, on a daily basis, we could come into real contact with our Savior, mm-hmm. which, is, which is quite beautiful. It is beautiful. Now, there's other aspects we would want to talk about where we would say that it just makes common sense. But we would look at, um, in John chapter 6, you remember this, this whole episode with the hard sayings, right? The hard teaching. This oh, yeah. is a hard teaching. When Jesus said, you've got yeah. to eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood to yeah, have his life. Disciples, some of his disciples left him. They walked away. Right. Right? So common sense would tell you that if this was supposed to be just a, a symbolic gesture, that we did a remembrance, merely just a, a like a Hallmark card. Right. You know, to say that, hey, we remember you, Jesus, thinking about you. You know, if that's if that's all it was, he'd have stopped him. He would have said, "Hey, hey, whoa, where are you going?" Yeah. Well, Jesus, you said we had to eat you. I was just, I was just being symbolic. Exactly. You know, you have to, you have to consume my teachings. You have to drink in my words of wisdom. Here. Yeah, he would have defined it as a parable because he taught in parables. That's right. And he would have said, "Wait a second, this is a parable." Yeah, but when he pressed him on this, he this let issue, him go. He let him go. Right. Which tells me, again, from a commonsensical per- perspective. Yeah. That, okay, Jesus meant that he, we had to literally, really eat his body and drink his blood. Exactly. Now, again, we're not even doing justice to the theology. Because right, right. we can go way back into the Garden of Eden and we can talk about eating of the, the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of, of good and evil, and the comparisons of the tr- uh, you know, that being the tree of life, which brought death to the world, eating that fruit, and then eating the fruit of the tree of death, which would be the cross, eating Jesus brings right. life, right. Right? right? So we see there's lots of theological stuff going on here, but just that basic common sense, yep. that, that simple notion that Jesus promised to be with us until the close of the age, and this is how he chose to do it, yeah. which yep. is not, you know, it's not crazy. It's right. not wacky. It's not way out there. Nope. Uh, so now another one let's talk about that we get all the time is confession of sins to a priest. Yep. But there's common sense here. Okay. Why would we confess our sins to a priest? Because again, you know, when he, when the Protestant talks, he says, "Oh, I can just go into a closet somewhere in the quiet of straight the to darkness, Jesus. and I can just go straight to Jesus, and I don't need to go and tell some man yeah. my sins." Yeah. Right. But think about this. Here's a commonsensical part of it. Jesus gave his apostles the authority to forgive sins. Mm-hmm. Right, he in in again, and this is uh, in in John, uh, uh, 
the Gospel of John, he gave them the the authority right. to forgive sins. Right. Right. And then also in Matthew, he gives Peter the authority to forgive sins. And so when he does that, if Jesus gives the authority to forgive sins to his apostles, don't you think that he would expect them to use that authority? I would think so. Well, I mean, if you give your car keys to your son, would you be crazy if, uh, you know, he, he drove the car and, and you came back and he, and, and he said, I was just out in the car. And you said, you did what? Right. Why were you driving the car? Well, you gave me the keys. Right. Well, certainly you would expect him to drive the car. You gave him the authority, right. the power, the wherewithal to drive that car. Exactly. And and so, just the same way, Jesus gave the power, authority, the wherewithal to forgive sins. Right. So it's common sense that if Jesus gave the authority to those men, and to no one else, by the way. Right. Right. You're right. right. We, don't, we don't see him giving the authority to anybody else. Exactly. He gives them to his apostles. Mm-hmm. Right, so he gives that authority to them. Don't you think that it would be common sense that he would expect them to use it? Yep. And how to use it? Are they all mind readers? No. No, of course not. Now, they can certainly walk into a room and say, "I don't know what sins you got, but I'm forgiving them all," and they could wave <laughs> their hands and everyone go, "Wow, that was easy." <laughs> but the reality is, to know what a sin a man has committed, right? He's got to speak it to another, to the one who has the authority that, in the name of the church, in the name of Christ. And with the authority of Christ, have those sins forgiven. So yeah. Christ is forgiving those sins through the instrument of the priest. Yep. Right? The priest is in persona Christi. It's common sense. Yeah. So it just makes sense. Christ gave them the authority. they got to be able to hear the sin so we confess our sins to a priest. Exactly. And so it just it makes perfect sense. Again, a commonsensical thing. Yeah, it can be way deeper than that. We can talk lots more about it. Do. But it's another commonsensical thing. Another one's like right. purgatory. Right. You know, we Which always is not a place. That's right. It's a process. Exactly. We, we have a show on that. So we look did. that one up if we you did. want to talk about that. But this whole idea that the book of Revelation says that, but nothing unclean shall enter it, referring to heaven. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is the 21st chapter, uh, 27th verse mm-hmm. of the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. And so nothing unclean is going to, well, wait a second. If I'm a dung uh, you know, c- covered by snow, snow, right? right? Or if I'm a sinner, right? And even though I might have been had forgiveness through confession, or whatever, if I'm a, essentially a sinful person, I ain't getting in. I'm I'm dirty. Yeah, somebody better clean me up. That's exactly right. So again, common sense says that if you are destined to heaven, in other words, when you die, you're judged. And you're judged to go either to heaven or hell immediately. That's what happens, teaching the church, mm-hmm. right? Your soul is going either to heaven or hell. Right. Now, if you're destined or if you're judged and worthy of, of heaven, which we all hope to be, some still have vestiges of sin attached to them. They have attachments to sin. They've, their, their soul is scarred and, and sort of directed to, uh, to sinfulness. And so if they're still sort of unclean in that way purgatory is the is the process by where they're they're purged of that attachment to sin right they're they're finally and eternally cleansed in a way more profound than anything that we can do on this earth right you know and so it makes common sense i agree another one of those commonsensical teachings that we can uh, that we can see now there are many more that we're going to talk about we're going to cover several Great. more of these Great. so if you want to know more about the common sense of catholic teaching 
stick with us. Before we do that, I want to remind everyone at home that we have a great website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. And also, I would love for you to send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, we'll be right back. And this is another great moment in church history. Dominic de Guzman was born of a wealthy family of nobility in Spain in 1170. When she became pregnant, his mother had a vision that her unborn son was a dog who would set the world on fire with the torch that he carried in his mouth. St. Dominic would grow up to found the Order of the Friars Preachers, and the image of the dog carrying a torch would forever become associated with his Dominican order. St. Dominic loved learning. In school, he excelled in theology and philosophy, but he also practiced great charity. On one occasion, he had a collection of fine religious books hand-printed on parchment. He sold them all so that he could distribute the money to the poor. I could not bear to prize dead skins, he said, when living skins were starving and in need. St. Dominic was a tireless fighter of heresy and felt a strong call to defend the Catholic Church to all who would challenge her teaching. But sometimes he would get discouraged because no matter how hard he fought, heresy still remained. But as the story goes, the Virgin Mary came to him in a vision and showed him a wreath of roses which represented the rosary. She instructed St. Dominic to pray the rosary daily and share the devotion with everyone he encountered. If he did this, the Blessed Mother told him, the truth of God would surely triumph over heresy. Tradition also tells us that one day he had a vision of a beggar who, just like St. Dominic, was destined for wonderful accomplishments for the faith. On the next day, that very beggar was standing in front of St. Dominic, who reached out, embraced the beggar, and told him, You are my companion and must walk with me. If we hold together, no earthly power can withstand us. That beggar was none other than St. Francis of Assisi. At his baptism, St. Dominic's mother saw a star shining in his chest, and for this reason, St. Dominic is the patron of astronomers. He is frequently depicted with a star above his head in classic art. His successor as Master General of the Dominican Order, Jordan of Saxony, said of St. Dominic, Nothing disturbed the even temper of his soul except his quick sympathy with every sort of suffering. And as a man's face shows whether he is happy or not, it was easy to see from his friendly and joyous countenance that he was at peace inwardly. St. Dominic died in the summer of 1221. His feast day is August 4th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here just trying to make some sense to Tom Dorian. Yes, sir. You know, I, you, <laughs> I, I saw that you checked off three of your bullets there. You got 43. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to pull this one off, buddy. You know what? We're just going to edit as we go along here. I don't think we're going to get through all of these bullets, but you know what? Okay. The point will be made. All right. So, it's common sense. That's right. It's common sense. It just makes sense. These okay. are not wacky out there teachings. They're teachings that make sense, and we can live in harmony with these teachings, and they're going to help us get to heaven. That's just we all trust you, Deacon Jeff. That's what I'm trying to. That's what I'm trying to see. I don't. I think I. 
I detect a note of sarcasm in your voice. <laughs> never. You know, never for me. Now, you, yes, but not me. Well. Carry on. Here we go. So, <laughs> let's let's go with, uh, let's look at redemptive suffering. Okay. Okay. Again, it's it's a, a lot of places realize the value of suffering, that it makes you stronger, makes you better, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, no pain, no gain, that kind of concept in the world. But a lot of people think that if God loves you, you're going to be blessed and everything's going to be happy and everything's wonderful. But but in in Catholicism, we we also see along with that mm-hmm. there are happy, blessed people. But there's also people that I think that bear a cross. Absolutely, right. And you think, well, when we call this re- redemptive suffering, that suffering actually helps in the salvation of the world. Mm-hmm. And so you think about that for a second, and you think, well, that's kind of weird. That sounds like God wants you to suffer and wants you whatever. Well, you know, the reality is there are crosses to bear. Right. And does it make sense that we suffer? Well, think about this for a second. God chose to save the world. How did he choose to save the world? What was the one thing that he did to save the world? He sacrificed his son. Right. How? He suffered on the cross. Absolutely. So this is how God chose to save the world. By becoming incarnate, to take on flesh, right? God made man to then be on a cross to suffer and die for our sinfulness. Right. Now, if that's the way God chose to save the world, then when we can look at our suffering, when we're doing it for the right reason, when we're applying it to that principle of salvation, we can actually participate. Right? As St. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Right. You know, we can actually participate in the salvation of the world in that salvific act act of the cross. Right. By being, uh, you know, a, a suffering person. Right. So that's redemptive suffering. It actually makes sense that way because our suffering is like Jesus suffering on the cross. It does. You're right? right. So now then there's this other concept. Let's look at the concept of scripture and tradition. Another okay. one of those things that people look at and go, well, if it's not in the Bible, it's not true or it's not right. from God or, or, or whatever. And Catholics have always maintained that. That there's a twofold ele- uh, aspect to sacred uh, divine revelation, right. and that's sacred scripture and sacred tradition. That they right. go hand in hand. Right. There's the living tradition of the church, and there's the living word. And those two things are the revelation of God, right? Well, a lot of people look at that and go, well, it's not true. Or that's kind of crazy. Where yeah. do you get that from? Yeah. Where's that in the Bible? Right. You know? <laughs> well, okay, so the Bible didn't come along, right, until the very late in the fourth century. Exactly. So common sense would tell you what were they that doing if, before that if that? it was sola scripture, if it was only by scripture right. that we realize the truth of God, if it's only by scripture, the Bible that we have today, yeah. then what do those people do for you know three or 400 years before they had that? Now, yes, they would have had access in certain places and certain meetings and gatherings and churches. They would have had access to the letters of the, the apostles that were passed around in the, in, in the letters of St. Paul and some of the other letters that were passed around. But there were also other letters that were passed around. Right. So there's also stuff that's in, that is the errant word of man versus the inerrant word of God. So there's stuff that's not the Bible that's out there. So how do they make heads or tails or sense of it? Yeah. Right? So it would tell you, common sense would tell you, that Scripture plus tradition right. is actually the, the only viable way for that to take place. Now, again... There's much more deeper theological readings, reasonings behind all this stuff. Yep. But again, your basic, simple, common sense, your everyday experience of the world and of spirituality and of God would tell you that, wait a second, 
what did those guys do right. in the second century? Right. You know, what if they happened to go to one of those churches that had all these wacky readings? Yeah. Were they not going to be saved? Do they have no um, ability to hear the truth of the right. gospel if they're not reading that gospel right. in that church? And so the point would be that, well, obviously there needed to be a church. Yep. So there needed to be a living tra- tradition that was going along that actually gave us the Bible, that actually formed the canon of the Bible. Yep. So a very important one. Now, very. we're going to kind of delve now into a couple of controversial topics. Okay. You know, we hear about this stuff all the time, and I don't want to shy away from this stuff because, again, there's common sense okay. that applies here. Let's look at the idea of the ordination of women. Okay. Women priests. People talk about, well, maybe this pope's going to give us women priests. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, the truth is it's not going to happen. Because that door has been shut pretty pretty emphatically. But from a commonsensical per, uh, perspective, we can look at this and go, well, wait a second. That's, that's not what Jesus intended. Right. Jesus never intended that. In fact, if you, if you will look, basically, he never, Jesus never selected women to be apostles. That's true. Now, someone says, yeah, well, that was because of the times. You know, those times people wouldn't have accepted that. It's like, well, wait a second. He was already a rebel. He was doing things on the Sabbath he wasn't supposed to be doing. He was a radical. Right? He was a radical. I know. You'd have thought that if Jesus the radical wanted to have women involved in his ministry in that way, that would eventually, right, in that ordained way, that he would have gone ahead and picked, you know, six women to be with those six men. Right. And not just have, like, one token babe there, you know. Right. Right. So one girl... In the room, like we want to represent here, so we got we have this we have this woman here, right, right. She's going to be with us, and then I'm only have eleven of you guys. So there's like, no, you'd have right. thought that if this was the way it's supposed to be, that that God, Jesus would have said, all right, I want to have six women and six men because this is going to show people where my church is going, right, right. So again, common sense would say, well, if Jesus wanted there to be women priests, then I, I think now again, I'm not trying to be harsh here. No, okay. and and I do want to make clear that the, the 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 woman is highly esteemed and very dignified and and a beautiful creature and God highly exalts women and we should too Absolutely. as the highest example. Who is the greatest saint that ever lived that ever walked this earth? Oh yeah, Mary. That's right, a woman. Yeah, right. God chose this this beautiful vessel mm-hmm. to be His entryway. His pathway in in the incarnation into this world, right, right, highly exalted women. So we don't want to say that women are for some reason, but this is not the chosen ministry. This is not the place to be, right, right. This is the Jesus wanted in the in the spirit of God the Father, mm-hmm. right, and Jesus the Son, mm-hmm. and the priest in persona Christi, right. Then we also see that there's also this kind of. This other relationship that happens, right? If you've got if you've got a, a a male priest, right? He's in persona Christi, right? He actually, like Jesus, weds the church. That's why he doesn't get married. He weds the church. The church is Holy Mother Church. The church is is the feminine, right? The priest is right, the masculine, right? And they wed together right. in the natural order. Yep. Well, if you have the female priest marrying the female church, it becomes an unnatural relationship, right? So again, common sense tells us that this is why we. This is why one of the reasons why we do this. Again, yeah. I am doing a an injustice to the theology of this. Yeah. There is so much more, and we have some good shows on 
like same sex unions and we have our attraction we have we have shows on on priesthood and women in the priesthood right and so I want people to to realize that there are great deep theological reasons why these things happen and how just, they just do. quick brush strokes on common sense exactly right we want to we want to look at that well let's 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 stay in that vein there you go for a second let's talk about holy matrimony and why it's between one man and one woman okay first of all let's look at the word matrimony okay a lot Good of people f- forget this but you know one uh, one woman right uh if you if you look at the word uh, uh the latin word mater right right that's it's a m- woman isn't it yeah Actually, it's mother. Mother. Wow. Mater wow. means mother. Pater okay. is father. Pa. That's right. Mon, pa. Right? So mater go. is mother. Okay. So matrimony, right? And monium is actually what it means is the state of being or becoming. Wow. So she's becoming a mother. Holy matrimony is the woman becoming wow. a mother. Ooh. Now, think about this. If we had holy matrimony between two men. Can't happen. Can't happen. Yeah. No one's going to become a mother in this situation. Or two women. They're not going to become a mother unless there's some kind of uh, a natural process or right. uh, uh, adoption or something like this. Right. And so you look at this and go, well, that's not the natural order of things. Yeah. And then there's this actual this, this concept. That we can, we that's can pretty t- cool, by the way. We can take that uh, in further into this idea that, that God uh, compares his love for the people and his salvation of the world t- to holy matrimony. Mm-hmm. He, he weds the people of Israel. Right? right? Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. Jesus marries the church. Good point. Right? Well, our teaching that, that holy matrimony lasts forever, mm-hmm. it lasts forever because God's covenant lasts forever. Exactly. Right? And so we see, again, common sense. We see yeah. that. We call marriage a covenant. Right. Holy matrimony is a covenantal relationship. Why? Because it mirrors the covenant that God made with his people. That makes sense. It ain't going to break, so we can't no. break it. That makes sense. Right, let no man put us under. Well, let's go to one last little topic, and let's talk about homosexuality for a second. Okay. Right? Again, first want to remind everyone that there's lots more to talk about here. Right. Great, deep theological things that we can discuss and sociological factors and all these. And we're not going to try to touch that here, but I do want to be clear that if we look at even same-sex attraction, we look at natural law, mm-hmm. right, and we see that, well... In the natural order, how a, a species propagates. Right. Right? The male of the species, the female of the species. They come together in a physical union, mm-hmm. and offspring come out of that relationship. Well, with two males or two females, you're not going to have that same relationship. So exactly. common sense was tell us this. Now, we want to be clear that this is not a judgmental thing. This is about love and acceptance of people and realizing there are people that have burdens, that have different crosses to bear in all of our lives. Right. But the church is the place to be. We don't ostracize. We don't judge. We don't push away. We actually invite. Right. But all these things are common sense. All these different teachings. We could go further into the theology of them, but all these things just make sense. So hopefully people can see that. There you go. Right. Well, I'll tell you what. It makes sense to end in prayer, doesn't it? I agree. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the church and for the gift of salvation she calls us to attain. Help us, we pray, to use our God-given common sense to see the wisdom in your plan of salvation for all. We ask this through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. 
The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stein, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.